Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast. I'm Lucia and this week I'm going to pass you over to witch journalist Matthew Jenkin to shine a light on the mis-selling of lifetime trusts. Now, they claim to help protect your wealth from tax and care costs, but the unregulated firms we'll be hearing about today have pushed people to put their property in one of their trusts, causing no end of financial and emotional distress. So let's get into it then. I'll hand you over to Matthew now for his investigation into the devastating impact these missold trusts have had on vulnerable older people and their families, as well as everything you need to know to avoid them. Denise Osdenis's parents worked hard all their lives to put a little away for retirement, but neither felt confident managing their money. It was only after her dad became seriously ill in his late 70s that he decided to put his financial affairs in order. In July 2014, he appointed a firm called the Will Writing Company to draw up a will and power of attorney. He was also persuaded by a consultant from the firm to place his home in a lifetime trust. This cost more than £5,000, a bill Mr and Mrs Osdenis were prepared to pay because they thought that in setting up the trust, they were sparing Denise from a future inheritance tax bill. This wasn't the case. To make matters worse, the company holding the trust, Phillips Trust Corporation, went out of business this year. This has left Denise's parents and thousands of fellow customers, many elderly and vulnerable, in doubt about the safety of their assets. Here's what Denise told us, as spoken by one of the team here at Witch. It's a tangled mess. My father now has dementia and recently moved into a care home along with my mother. They want to sell the house to pay for the fees and living expenses, but they require permission from the trustees to do so, which has proved almost impossible to obtain since the trust company ran into financial difficulties. My parents have been assured that they're safe in the care home and won't be asked to leave if their cash savings run out. But for both of them, there's the emotional trauma of feeling they've worked hard all their lives and their blood, sweat and toil they've put into the house has been taken away from them. Setting up a trust means someone else becomes the legal owner of the assets you place in trust and is responsible for what happens to those assets after you die. Many people, however, only realised the implications of this when they came to sell their house. People like Ian Nightingale and his sister Jane. In 2011, Ian Nightingale's parents put their two-bedroom bungalow in Derbyshire into a lifetime trust with the Family Trust Corporation. When it looked like FTC was in financial trouble, they transferred it to the Phillips Trust Corporation in 2018. His father, George, died the same year, but nothing seemed amiss with the trust until his mother, Margaret, fell seriously ill in September 2021. 
The family wanted to sell the property to fund extra care for her, but they couldn't do so without the consent of the trustees, the Phillips Trust Corporation. From sort of 2018, she'd been suffering a little bit with dementia and that was getting worse. Um, and in the September of 21, um, she was taken into hospital and, you know, obviously we feared the worst for her and we thought she may need full-time residential care. So I tried to contact the uh, Phillips Trust Corporation. I tried by telephone, I tried emails, but, you know, nothing I did could get through to them. Um, and obviously, you know, I was really concerned that, you know, we, we needed to make sure we made the right provision for my mum. In December 2021, Ian and Jane's mother died, but there was still no response from PTC and the house remained locked in the trust. They hired a solicitor who has been helping them resolve the issue and finally, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, months after the trust company went into administration. When you know the one you love is taken in hospital and is not well, then you should be focusing all your attentions on, on them and not have to be diverted into trying to find out you know how you can how you can access money their money to, to, to pay for their care fees if you need to do um, and so you know clearly it was a very worrying time um, at the moment the bungalow um, has been sitting empty for a year um, but hopefully we're in the the final stages of getting it sold but I live in Devon my mum's house is in Derbyshire so constantly it means we've, I've got the worry um, of making sure that the, the, the upkeep's being looked after. Um, you know, we've got, as the cold weather's here now, uh, both my sister and I have got to pay the uh, heating bills. So, you know, and whilst ever this goes on, you can't put it to bed, really. You can't sort of get final closure on losing my mum. Ian's story is sadly not unique. He discovered that there were hundreds of other people whose assets were in a PCT trust and in the same position as him. People need to feel that they're not on their own. And so I decided that I was going to set up a Facebook group, uh, a, a Facebook action group. And within a few days, we had a steady trickle of members. And I mean, now it's been going since so it's just, over, just literally over a year. And we've got over 700 members now. There's obviously sort of knowledge is power. And it was really as, a, as a, a forum for sharing information, for sharing knowledge. What had people done? Had they managed to contact certain people? Um, we built up databases. We were tracking down lots of um, involved companies with this. And it's amazing how there's a big spider's web full of companies that came, went into liquidation and then set up again, selling similar sorts of products. So I think, you know, I mean, I again, as, as it went on, um, it, it was a tremendous amount of work in a way because I had to vet everybody that wanted to join to make sure, you know, they had a bona fide reason. Um, and then people were obviously asking me questions that, you know, clearly I knew, didn't know the answers to and I had to make it very clear that it was, you know, a self-help support group and that, you know, any, any information, any um, guidance that was on there was purely from the individual's experiences. As the Phillips Trust Corporation did not belong to any regulatory body, any losses are unlikely to be covered by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, which protects you if the firm you've used goes out of business. Indeed, there are currently no restrictions on the business of will writing and estate planning, including trusts. 
anyone can enter the market. It's led to confusion among customers as to who to trust and what qualifications to check before signing any legal contracts. But while the will writing and estate planning industry as a whole is unregulated, there is a regulatory body for qualified solicitors, many of whom provide this type of legal service. The Solicitors Regulation Authority, for example, requires members to follow strict rules and the code of conduct. So if something does go wrong, for instance, money goes missing or a firm closes down suddenly, the organisation can step in to help. Scott Clayton, Chief Executive of the Association of Corporate Trustees, or TACT, also encourages people to do checks on whether the firm is reputable. When you've decided on your advisor, I would ask certain questions of them. Um, And in particular, if things do go wrong, do they have adequate professional indemnity insurance? So that you're covered covered by their insurance if... um, if they do go wrong and most reputable firms will have no hesitation in confirming that or giving you more information about that if you ask. Um, So if they're um, hesitant or cagey about that then that should be ringing alarm bells with you. I think you need to look and make sure you get proper terms and conditions and a signed letter of engagement as well and that they've got a reasonable fee structure. I would also carry out online searches, Google the firm because, and the individual you're dealing with, because um, if they're well-established and they've got a good reputation, there'll be online reviews. If you want to go to the next level, if you're choosing an advisor, see if they're a limited liability partnership, an LLP or a company, go onto Companies House website and you can see exactly who the directors are, whether the company has filed their accounts on time, whether they're still, they're still solvent, how long they've been trading. Is it, a, is it a well-established firm? There are other questions you should be asking yourself to avoid being sold a trust that isn't suited to your individual needs. There are some clever people out there that will try and mislead you. But I think the first thing which sounds obvious is, is it a hard sell? Are they actually more interested in making money than giving you best advice? Um, And are they asking you to acquire products that actually don't suit your needs, which is why right at the beginning I said, you know, try to understand what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, Are they trying to push you into a box that um, doesn't suit you? Um, is Is the trust structure that they're trying to sell to you overly complicated? Because obviously often what happens is the, the less scrupulous ones tend to be totally over, overly complicated uh, and the best trusts are and the most effective trusts, I would say, are, are the simple ones and e- the ones that are easy to understand. Despite the stories of Denise, Ian and many others, Julia Peake from insurance and financial services company Canada Life says there are many other types of trust that can be very useful depending on your circumstances. There are different types of trusts that can be set up. The most simple type of trust um, that can be used is what we call a bearer and absolute trust. Um, That's where the person creating the trust, otherwise known as the donor in this case, would give an asset to um, the trustees. And the trustees act like nominees um, because this is a simple type of trust. And from the outset, the person creating the trust knows who they want to benefit and by how much. So their proportions are set out from the outset. Um, they're really simple and the beneficiaries have entitlement to their proportion 
um, of that trust property, whether that be the income or the capital, normally when they get to age 18, like I say, in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, 16 under Scottish law. Um, and they're really simple and, it's ta- and the assets held within the bear trust are actually taxed on the actual beneficiaries because the HMRC know who's, who owns that trust property and so they know who's going to be taxable on that. The only thing that might come into when we're thinking about bear and absolute trust is if the parents have set up that trust for the benefit of their children, there's something called, that we call parental settlement rules and that's where if the assets within the trust, if there is gross income of over £100 per tax year, then instead of it being taxed on the beneficiaries, it's actually taxed on the parents and added to their income. So it's just something to be mindful of when you're looking to set up those types of trusts. Um, Another type of popular trust that gets used um, is what we call an interest in possession trust. This is where there's two types of beneficiaries. The first set of beneficiaries is normally known as what we call the life tenant or the person who has a life interest and they have the right to the income that's produced from the trust property during their lifetime and then they have what we call the capital beneficiaries who have rights to the actual capital and the trust fund property after that life tenant has died. And then what most people will probably know is discretionary trusts. This is where the trustees have absolute discretion over who benefits from the trust fund, by how much and when. Um, And there's normally a really wide class of beneficiaries um, that that the trustees can choose from. Um, They get taxed in a slightly different way um, and they are Uh, it can be quite complicated as to how they get taxed, depending on the type of assets that are being held. So it's always best for clients to have um, a professional advice when they're looking at the different types of trusts and what might be suitable for them. Because what we need to think about when we're trying to create a trust is making sure that it does what the people who are giving that gift away does for them and it goes to who they want it to go to but they also need to understand some of the complexities around that about the different tax taxation structures and how um, people get taxed when it gets taxed and who's responsible for paying it lifetime trusts in particular started out as a popular way to reduce the tax bill on assets you leave to children or grandchildren after your death but changes in tax laws mean that unless you are very wealthy, there is now very little advantage to setting one up. That's not to say though, there aren't any tax advantages to placing assets in another type of trust. From an inheritance tax point of view, if you're giving gifts away to trusts, um, depending on what type of trust you're using, it's going to be either the either a potentially exempt transfer, if you're giving a gift to a bear trust or an absolute trust, um, or it's what's what they call a chargeable lifetime transfer, which is under the relevant property regime, um, which got changed, uh, which got changed for interest in possession trust in 2006. Um, And that's known as a chargeable lifetime transfer. Everyone, every individual has a standard nil rate band, and that's currently £325,000. And that's frozen currently until tax year 2026. If you're giving gifts that are over and above the standard nil rate band into a relevant property trust, so an interest in possession trust created after 2006 or a discretionary trust, then that can actually cause an in, uh, in what we call an inheritance tax entry charge. And that's either taxed at 20 or 25%, depending on who's paying that charge. It's either paid for by the trustees or the settler. Um, gifts into 
bear trust, so the potentially exempt transfers don't have this limitation. But either gifts to trust, what it does for the estate is if you give a gift to the either of these trustees, then after seven years, it's outside your estate for inheritance tax purposes. So it's not included in your in the value of your estate, so long as you survive seven years after giving that gift. If you die between um, uh, year three and year seven, we have what we call a taper, a taper relief that can be charged to that gift. But essentially, you're looking for anything outside of that seven year period, it's outside your estate from inheritance tax purposes purposes that's a huge benefit and you can depending on what when you start doing these gifts you could use that nil rate band maybe three four five six seven times depending on how um how affordable it is to you what type of trust you're using and um how much you can actually gift and have that's affordable to you because the different types of trust that you're using will depend um, on the different access that you may or may not have to that to that money once you've given it away, you might be able to give away the give away the money to the trustees, but still retain some access to, say, withdrawals for that. Or it might be an outright gift to the trustees where you have no access to any income or that capital again. So when we're looking at giving gifts, then it needs to be affordable to you as well. Whatever the reasons are for setting up a trust, it's important to consider who you want to hand over control of your assets to. Because there are many roles and responsibilities and duties that the trustees need to take on. Um, you know, there need to be people that you, forgive the pun, trust, um, to, to maintain and look after that property for who you want to benefit. We do find a lot of people who set up the trust also put themselves as trustees as well because they want to maintain that control after they're given that money away as to who benefits and when. Um, in the cases of discretionary trusts. And also, um, people might be aware of um, some of the new newer legislation that's come in over the last couple of years about making sure that particular types of trusts are registered properly, um, especially on the UK Trust Registration Service. Um, and that's just part of the role of the trustees, as well as any reporting requirements to HMRC, depending on what assets are being held in there, um, and to make sure that um, that the people know who needs to pay that tax and when and make sure that the administrative duties are completed. We asked the PTC's administrators, Kroll, for a response and they told us that given the nature of the process and that any major decisions are required to be sanctioned by the courts, the process of unravelling everything will take a number of months, during which time they are working with clients to deal with any urgent matters. They say they have provided reassurance to those clients who place properties in trust that as trustees, they will not be taking any steps which are contrary to the interests of the trust and or beneficiaries. Thank you so much to Matthew for today's investigation and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money podcast. If you have any questions on anything we've covered in the podcast or another personal finance or money related topic, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the show or drop us an email at podcasts at witch.co.uk. Please do also subscribe to the show to make sure you catch us again next week. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at witchmoney and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. 
This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced by Matthew Jenkin, edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Grace Witherden. Hi there, Harry from Witch here. Our research has found that millions of families are skipping meals to survive the cost of living crisis. And our figures show that over 8 in 10 people in the UK are having to make adjustments to save money on food. With the price of essential products soaring, we believe that supermarkets have to step up to the plate to help us all. That's why we've launched the Affordable Food for All campaign, calling on the big supermarkets to take action and make a real difference to communities across the UK. If you agree and would like to join our campaign, then sign our petition at witch.co.uk slash affordable dash food and use the hashtag affordable food for all on social media. Thank you.